Hello, Whiskey Files, and welcome to another episode of Pot Still Radio. This episode is brought to you by our sponsors, the Irish Whiskey Magazine, the only magazine in the world dedicated to sharing the exciting news, lifestyle, and spirit of Irish whiskey. You can find out more at irishwhiskeymagazine.com. And the Tour Glass, a contemporary nosing and tasting glass, a symbol to unify Irish whiskey drinkers across the world. And you can find out more about this beautiful glass at thetourglass.ie. Steve Glare, Fortigli on Shot A Postel Radio, Ismisha, Maihu, Haley, Inigoni, August, Inu, Tommy Ansoste, Mar Tommy Lesh, Na Ambassador Brandon, Nashunta, Omerica, for Tom or Jew, Tim O'Hurley, so Tim Fortigli on Shot A. To everyone out there in podcast land, welcome to another episode of Pot Still Radio. As always, I am your host, Matt Healy, and today I am delighted to be joined by the Tullamore U.S. National Brand Ambassador, uh, Tim Hurley. So, Tim, welcome to the show. Uh, Welcome to my home. Exactly. My home home, you know, not the American home. This is the real home. We are sitting in Termin Feckin, County Loud. Termin Feckin Manor, uh, the place that eggs built. Uh, so, <laughs> welcome. It's cool. That's a really obscure comment for those out there in Radio Land that don't know that your parents are prolific egg farmers. <laughs> <laughs> ah, we'll get into that. <laughs> are we going to cover whiskey at all, or is it just, just, uh, just the just eggs? A, it's yeah. just an egg show. Yeah. You, uh, you do go on uh, cocktail symposiums talking about the use of eggs, so... This is a very weird way to introduce the show. Welcome, everyone, <laughs> and welcome, Tim. So, I suppose you're here back in Ireland for a couple of days. Uh, you call New York uh, your home for about two weeks of every month, the air around the United States for uh, every other two weeks of the of the month, I believe. Yeah, uh, really, my apartment in New York is just a glorified, expensive wardrobe, and uh, my, my home, the place where I reside most, is the skies. So hopefully someday Delta will start naming planes after me. But uh, you must have some great uh, membership perks with Delta, though. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. I'm bored <laughs> with the pilots. It's class. <laughs> okay, so you are the national brand ambassador for Tullamore Jew. Uh, what exactly does that mean? Uh, it's a pretty cool gig. I get to go city to city, coast to coast, always with a bottle of Tully. And the idea behind it is just introduce and reintroduce people to Tullamore Jew. And tell stories, create stories, uh, meet bartenders, meet enthusiasts, and it's a combo of marketing, sales, and PR. That's a lot of fun. And you really do cover coast to coast. Are you just the continental United States, or do you ever get to bounce across to the other? Well, I'm trying to, like, invade other geographies, much to our global ambassador's frustration, John Quinn. But uh, I've, you know, made kind of, like, beachheads in Mexico, I've uh, been trying with Canada, but uh, I think um, the U.S. keeps me busy busy enough, so okay, I'll stick with okay. that. Many times in the territories, Guam, Puerto Rico, just sunning yourself a little bit too much in Mexico, perhaps? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've been the national ambassador for how long? It's going to be eight years, end of October, so still making it look difficult. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll be good. I think year 10. Uh, once you get the first decade done, I'll be good. They'll hand you the green card and the passport at that point, I'm sure. Well, I got the green card uh, this year, so that's that's a big relief and delighted that's over with. Well, you got the green card and you still came back to the tournament back in home. So. Yeah, exactly. 
So I suppose for those out there who I suppose don't really know you, how does uh, one become the US national brand ambassador for Tully? Where did you uh, start in the drinks industry? Yeah, I'd love to say I'm fifth generation distiller. I'd love to say I went to college for this or <laughs> distilling my, school. Yeah, my grandfather introduced me to it, but uh, really, I. It's, it's, I was an egg farmer and made that natural transition from eggs to whiskey. So eggs is very much uh, my father starting the business. So I've always been into, I, I guess, food and beverage, uh, even when I was in college doing business. But uh, it really, my whiskey moment, uh, besides enjoying it, was when I went to work with uh, Board Bia. And through that, I got working with the, the Cooley Distillery. Um, so I was working with uh, Jack. John Stephen, uh, back when they had their their hands on it, and what what kind of year was this? So that was two thousand and nine. Uh, so I joined the the first year of the Board Bia Fellowship Program, and interviewed with Jack. <laughs> I remember uh, being far too early for the interviews, and got talking to Jack, and was like, "What what do you do?" And Jack Jack's a young guy. I thought he was there for an interview as well. I thought he was applying <laughs> for the program too. I didn't think he was going to be interviewing me later on. So we, we had a, a, I was very nervous about the competition going up for that. So my, this, is, this is Jack Phelan. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we should tell John about him. But so uh, that was my first furrow into to whiskey. So it was always in the US. I've never worked in whiskey outside the US. So did um did a year in kind of an ambassadorial business developer role. So that was where I really learned for, my stuff. For Cooley? For Cooley, yeah. Okay. And um, where were you based? I was based in New York, but would, to a lesser extent than I do now, travel all over for different trade shows or um, whiskey shows or different meetings. And um, and in 2009, what was the what were you selling? Was it the kind of the, the branded uh, products from Cooley? Or was it, it was mostly private label and... Private Business was what I was going after, uh, but then I also did ambassadorial stuff with uh, well Green Ore at the time, Kilbegan, Terconnell, Connemara, and uh, yeah, I loved the whiskey shows. They were a great crack, and came back. Well, uh, uh, before you go on, yeah. are there any private label private labels out there that you would have you know had a finger in to some degree that still exist? That so tra- Trader Joe's Irish whiskey okay. um, was my pitch, and I came really close to landing Costco. Uh, but didn't quite get it over the line, and um, so that, yeah, that they was must, in themselves must have been fantastic to be a part of that kind of discussion for that experience and that kind of uh, yeah, completely business development. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really cool, and it was twenty three at the time as well, so very much faking it till I made it. Um, How does one end up pitching Trader Joe's Irish whiskey? Like, what was was it a trade show? Did you know somebody? Did you rock into the offices with a bottle of Tyrconnell? And no, them? it was like it was cold calling on phones and emails and doing the detective work to figure out who the buyer was and stuff like that. Who did you need to talk to? Yeah, yeah. So it was it was always a bit of fun doing that detective work and. Uh, I've no problem with rejection, <laughs> so um, <laughs> it, it explains why you're single. I <laughs> <laughs> no, if I had a problem with rejection, I'd be uh, I'd be very much loved up by now. So. That's true. You yeah. killed my joke. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and then my year, my visa, as as you know, ran ran out. So came back, and the idea was myself and Dad would build a, an egg empire together, rule it with an iron fist. And uh, all, 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 all great dreams with that, but 
during my time in the US, I met a lot of Balvini, Glamphitic folks at the whiskey shows. And uh, William Grant in 2010 purchased Tullamore Jew, and they were looking for somebody in 2011. And I made, I, I threw my name in the hat, didn't really think I had a, a shot at it at all because I'd a year's sort of whiskey experience in the US. I didn't think I was qualified at all. Uh, I wasn't a star bartender or mixologist or that fifth generation uh, whiskey distiller that uh, I alluded to earlier. Um, so I remember going to the interviews when I was in the egg van. So I you drove, you drove the egg van, the egg mobile. I should yeah, <laughs> the egg man drives the egg mobile. Uh, would be a rival to Batman, really, in terms of super. I can't wait for Marvel or DC to get their hands on that, but. I'd do my egg route and I'd get changed in the back of the egg van and uh, go in looking all slick, suited and booted to, to see uh, Senior John Quinn. And uh, instead of charming him with egg facts, it was my limited whiskey knowledge and that was good enough to, to get me over to uh, the US. And, and it was always, for me, whiskey was the US because that was my limited knowledge, but it was also Annie's. The, the epicenter for Irish whiskey right now. Um, so I was very determined if I was going into whiskey, it would be in the US. So, so you get the job, you're told you're going stateside yeah. again. What does the job today would it look, you know, uh, very different to what it looked like then. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure even, you know, one year into owning Tullamore Jew, the William Grant Tullamore Jew team must have looked entirely different to what it does today. Yeah. What was it like re-landing back into JFK to start a new career with a new company in what must have been the kind of baby steps of Tullamore Jew's kind of resurgence in the United States? Yeah, and the, the big thing is we had to educate William Grant. Like, and it was interesting because William Grant knows whiskey, but... I think they were selling Tully like it was Balvini or Glenfiddich. So there was that education. And then we had distributors that we had to educate as well. So there was, there was longer time than I think we care to admit that that takes to, to do. You know, you, you don't just do it after the first distributor meeting. It takes time and uh, it takes examples as well. Uh, on where Tullamore Jew belongs. Uh, and where it sits on the shelf. And yeah, and, you know, guess what? It doesn't have to be just an Irish pub that has it. So that, like, we had to do a lot of that, but that, that was fun, the internal education, the distributor education. And then the funnest bit was introducing bartenders to it, uh, introducing whiskey enthusiasts, introducing new whiskey drinkers to it. Uh, so there was all these stages on the journey, and that, now it's a very... You know, it's, it's still a journey, but it's a very different stage of it and has its own challenges because the stuff you did to get there is definitely, yeah, yeah, it's not the stuff that's going to get you to the next spot. So um, I've I've loved the fact that as Tullamore Jew grows, I get to grow and, you know, develop a different muscle. Uh, so it's been, it's been fun that way. Like the landscape of Irish whiskey uh, has totally changed. Like I remember going into Irish pubs back in 2010 or even before that and you'd have maybe in America I'm talking about uh, you'd have maybe five Irish whiskies um, you'd certainly have more single malt scotches on a back bar than you would Irish whiskies in an Irish pub so that that has completely changed where Irish pubs in America are starting to define themselves 
and through, Irish selections. Yeah, or even now Irish gins um, or Irish beers as well. But yeah, it's it's becoming part of their identity and concept. I think for me looking in and, and anyone who I suppose knows me as well, I'm going to have an automatic bias here being a former yeah. Tullamore U ambassador <laughs> from the US. We did our job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyone who listened to the episode where I spoke to Kevin Pickett from the Tullamore Distillery will know that kind of story of Pennsylvania. But as just an, a whiskey enthusiast, I suppose, looking at the industry from the outside, one of the things that is very commendable and maybe is worth kind of, you know, writing down and taking a little bit more note of maybe than we do, there is no Irish whiskey industry without Jameson. And, and yep. I don't think anyone should ever take anything I say to ever not mean that. But kind of Tully is one of the brands that has very much just chipped away over the years and has become quite a, a big brand internationally, especially in the United States. But one of the things I find most amazing about it is that it's a brand that until 2014 was a sourced brand. It didn't have a distillery home. It didn't have its own liquid. So to be the number two Irish whiskey in the world... Mm-hmm. And stand very proudly on its own shoulders, I guess. That's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I remember the new distillery being built. And because when we think about whiskey, particularly back then, you know, you think of old things, right? You know, and the idea of seeing a new distillery open, particularly when you're an old brand, was, it wasn't a concept you think would happen. Uh, so that, that was one of the funnest bits of the journey, uh, seeing the Tullamore distillery come to life. Uh, so that was a real highlight uh, and still is a highlight. You know, it's it's cool that uh, we we have a new beginning. I think you actually pointed this out to me before. Like, we're very honest about that new chapter. Like, when you go to the Tullamore distillery, there's two dates. So there's 1829 and 2014 on the distillery. So it, it celebrates our established date, but it also celebrates... Uh, our new beginning, our next chapter. Um, so it's it's very cool to to be part of that and and see us going on to the the upcoming chapter. So from a US point of view, from Irish whiskey, I think one of the things that is interesting, I suppose, from my perspective, is the Irish whiskey market in Ireland isn't wildly different to the Irish whiskey market in the United States. And I think maybe people in Ireland, especially enthusiasts or even enthusiasts in Europe, or you know, further afield, you look towards Australia or Japan, or the, all the markets are quite different. But what are the kind of, you know, key differences in maybe the whiskey market or how Tomorju is portrayed in the US compared to Ireland? Yeah, and it's it's hard to describe, but you certainly notice it when you get there, right? Um, and I think for me, the fact that Tully is so big, and in fact, it's called Tully. Also. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> People call it, and uh, yeah, everyone calls it Tully. Like it's a little nickname as well. And you know, we don't we don't advertise it as Tully. People just automatically call it. Like they've been introduced to it that way. And uh, but Irish whiskey in America, like it, it is enormous. Like America are big, big spirits drinkers. But when we think of Irish whiskey in America, like it is high energy it's in the in the bars it is a, a decent bit of shop culture 
there are these wonderful things like uh, picklebacks and green you love, tea you shots. Love I, your picklebacks. <laughs> I, I, I am, a, yeah, I'm a big believer in the pickleback. Okay, it, for, it, for those out there who don't know what a pickleback is, please explain. Yeah, so it's uh, two shots. So it is uh, Tullamore Jew uh, and then it's a back shot of pickle juice. Yeah. And, and certain bars advertise themselves over what pickle juice they serve, don't they? Yeah, and there's, I, I've told you this story, but it, there's, I bumped into a couple in, in Hipster, Williamsburg, and they brought their own pickle juice to the bar, and they were like really into their picklebacks. And I'm like, okay, all right, I work for a whiskey company, I bring my own whiskey to the bar. Uh, these guys clearly work for a pickle juice company. Uh, no, they did not, they were just really into their own pickle brine, and uh, they would do their own pickleback shots, uh, but bars like make a statement of you'd kind of expect it like oh we use Tully or we use Jemison uh, or Jamo uh, as they call it over there um, for our picklebacks, but they'll also talk about well we use Brooklyn Brown or we use McClure's and there's that bread and butter pickles. Yeah, stuff. yeah, I, I know a bar in Atlanta that ships uh, uh, pickle juice from New York because that's the pickle juice they want. So, shout out to Mother's Bar in Atlanta. I'm sure they, when they listen to this podcast, they'll be <laughs> delighted. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> to answer your question, like there is a real big spectrum of enjoying Irish whiskey in America, far more so than it would be in Ireland. So there is that shot culture, there is that picklebacks, green tea shots or car bombs. Uh, are still we can glance past that. We will, okay. yeah. That's Drink. uh uh, and, and then on the other end, there is, you know, the, the higher marks that people enjoy, the whiskey enthusiasts, the connoisseurs, uh, but there's also the cocktail element to it as well, um, which is certainly picked up in a big way back home. Uh, but but do you think that even in the cocktail element, Irish whiskey's versatility gets used differently between the two places? Like I, I say, when I was in the US, I saw a hell of a lot more tipperaries than I've ever seen in Ireland. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm gonna do my best to take as much credit for that as possible. But <laughs> there's, uh, there is um, definitely realize, and to be fair, it's kind of a recent thing. Uh, and I'll give uh, my mates of the Dead Rabbit a lot of credit for that in terms of uh, really championing Irish whiskey uh, being used in cocktails. And what they did was they they inspired two groups. They inspired cocktail bars to treat Irish whiskey as um, a quality. Uh, spirit that can be used in cocktails but they also inspired uh, Irish pubs to you know you can add this feather to your cap you guys can do uh, Irish whiskey cocktails as, as well you know in fact you should be the, the leading light uh, when it comes to Irish whiskey cocktails so um, it's, a, it's a big play um, and I think what's probably missing in the cocktail piece is there's not many Irish whiskey cocktails out there you know, if we're talking about a list, we're talking Irish coffees, we're talking Tipperary's, and um, there are some older ones like the the Brainstorm, uh, the Emeralds, but I think we're probably due a new modern Irish whiskey cocktail. I, um, I once found a uh, Irish whiskey cocktail uh, from the 19, I think it was 33 World's Fair in Chicago. Okay. It was listed and it was a what could only be described today as a shamrock shake. Okay. Um, it was an Irish whiskey, essentially a huge amount of double cream or like whipping cream, 
and green shark or not green chartreuse, green curacao, okay. which they don't make anymore, <laughs> um, which is apparently kind of a mint flavored uh, liqueur. And I had a number of bars uh, recreate this from the, like, again, it was exact recipe how to make it. Now it had to sub out the curacao sure. work. And uh, quite frankly, it was terrible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was just, it was, it was like, it was milkshake sub ice cream, essentially for whipping cream. And it was, yeah, we could have done with some better cocktails. <laughs> yeah. Well, like all these pre-prohibition cocktails you hear about when you're over in America and, they're like, oh, it's a pre-prohibition cocktail. I'm like, I really hope it's not because it wasn't that great. So if it's pre-prohibition inspired, have at it. But if it's a like for like, I'd like to think we've improved over the last hundred years. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So in the states, who who's buying Irish whiskey? Because if it's obviously it's it, it can't be just expatriates. Yeah. Um. It also can't just be the diaspora of of Irish people because. It's such a large spirits category that that even the amount of of Americans who claim Irish ancestry. So where where is the love coming from? What what's what's driving it? Yeah, it's it's all over. But if you're to focus on it, it is the the younger Americans, and they don't need an Irish connection. Uh, for them, it's in. I think our biggest thing that we've gone for us is yes, there's certainly a wonderful taste profile that comes with Irish whiskey across the board. Uh, but really, it's a bit of a bit of coolness um, to brand Ireland and certainly to brand the Irish whiskey. Uh, we don't have a pretentiousness about us. Uh, and you don't need to wear a suit to drink Irish whiskey. Yeah, and 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 that stems from people's attitude towards Irish people, uh, people's attitude towards Irish pubs, and certainly people's attitude towards Irish whiskey. You know, you think Irish whiskey in America, and you picture yourself at a at a bar with friends, cheers and toasting, and maybe it's shooting or maybe it's sipping or maybe it's on the rocks. Whereas I think a lot of Americans think uh, scotch uh, or they think single malt and they might picture themselves, you know, getting a promotion or at home by the fire, swirling, uh, swirling their glass, plotting the downfall of their enemies, that kind of stuff. So I think Irish whiskey's popularity is down to Great taste, great liquid, uh, but also it's unpretentiousness and cool factor. And I think that's really the reason we're, you know, the choice of a lot of 21-year-olds to 35-year-olds, yet we have the heritage, the the quality that when it comes to the high end, we can occupy that space as well. Well, listen, and you think that that kind of gives us a leg up over... The bourbon of the 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 where it would occupy the same kind of price levels of the of the shooting category or the yeah, kind we, of mixing category. We have more tools in our arsenal. We can we can play in different arenas. Whereas and so can a bourbon and scotch. But I think we just do it better. And I think you'll start to see us do it better in the the higher mark expression as Irish whiskey as an industry builds up more age stocks or pushes more innovation and we're just going to perform there like we we haven't done in in decades and we say when you're looking at innovation in the higher age stocks or the or the more premium 
Do you see Irish whiskey championing single pot still down the line, or do you think perhaps the non-oak expressions are going to kind of intrigue the the imbibers in America, or how do you see kind of Irish whiskey progressing as we evolve? Yeah, I, I think single pot still is the obvious answer, but you know it's going to take time uh, as more distilleries start releasing that style finishing's a, a big thing and finishing's gotten far more interesting um like before we just talked about sherry port madeira now we can talk about beer we can talk about cider we can talk about tequila mezcal yeah exactly uh, i think the non-oaks is going to take a bit of education there but it's kind of cool that we get to be the ones leading that education and uh, so that that will take some time um, but yeah, it's it's impressive that Irish whiskey, you know, can legitimately claim to be by design by um, by our architecture um, one of the most innovative whiskey categories there is. So if we look at the rest of your role, mm-hmm. your national U.S. ambassador, that also leads you as the head of a cohort of people who are spreading <laughs> the the good word of Irish whiskey. Yeah. I don't think you ever came up with really a name for that cohort. I think with the Tully, there was there was the whiskey wolfhounds. I think, or uh, <laughs> I mean, that was good. The Irish wolfhounds of the Tully yeah, bottles. Yeah. Yeah. Or I think it just turned into whiskey hounds. Was in, okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's probably the, I've done many things. I'm particularly proud of, but that's probably my favorite aspect of of my role. Uh, so is, the regional specific Tullamore brand ambassadors. Yeah. So we have twelve at the moment regional ambassadors and it's it's like a graduate program in that sense and uh, it was something that was very kind of close to me because when I started it I was like I was kind of fairly fresh and it was a recent memory of when I had moved over to the US in in a junior role I was like oh okay well what are the things that you know would have made my life a whole lot easier so I was able to develop that and I'm very biased when it comes to this, but uh, and it's I mentioned this. I mentioned this in all, <laughs> all the interviews. But in terms of, I don't know a role where you have at at that age, at that uh, level, more autonomy, more independence, more budget, more resource, uh, a better platform to, you know, essentially be the Tullamoreju business manager for your city, for your state. And the other side to it is we do this because it works. And so these guys and girls do move the needle. And even even though they're working with people who are many years their senior or many years more experienced when it comes to to Irish whiskey and certainly when it comes to Tullamore Jew, they're they're the expert and we'll we'll back them to get the job done. And so it's really cool to see what people can achieve and how they they utilize that platform as well and we've we've had 50 um be a part of it over the years um what's the year seven now uh no it'd be years yeah coming on to year seven so year six uh so yeah we've had 50 we've um still a 50 percent retention so when people finish up the program they'll 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 stay with the company whether it's um our distributors in other parts of the world uh, and actually most of them don't necessarily work on Tullamore Jew they'll become 
brand managers that become part of the commercial team, in some cases become ambassadors with other uh, elements of the William Grant family. So whether it's Grant's, Balvinie, Glenfiddich, Hendricks, amongst others, and, and they've gone on to some really successful careers. So I mean, most notably, I believe one went from brand ambassador to brand manager yeah. in the States. Yeah, so Connor Neville, you know, I used to sit down and do his reviews. Now he is brand manager for Tully, and uh, he sits down and does my reviews. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's That must have been a flip of dynamic. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's been fun, though. So um, I'm... I'm yeah, I'm pretty happy that uh, somebody that's come up through through the system. Where did he start? He was in Austin, Texas. Uh, First or second intake? He would have been the third group. Okay. And he, he graduated with honours and uh, became the UK Monkey Shoulder and Hudson brand manager. And then got to boomerang back uh, to the US as a Tullamore brand manager last year. And uh, now we plot, scheme and execute all great stuff uh, for Tully. Fantastic. So when you are plotting, scheming, and executing all great stuff for Tully, yeah. you have had some pretty fantastic uh, <laughs> activations. Top of my head, 50 States Tour, 50 States in 30 Days. Yeah. Uh, world's largest Irish coffee, where you had to get the glass made by an aquarium company. That was yes. pretty cool. I know Jane uh, Marr, now global brand manager of Tullamore mm-hmm. she did the Jew and a Brew Tour which I think was maybe 12, 18 states across the United States in a giant uh, Tully-themed RV. That was pretty cool. Yep. There must have been other activations that I can't think of off the top of my head, but tell us about some of those. Yeah, well, now I'm betting the farm on rock, paper, scissors tournaments, so uh, we can chat about that. That was your team for Camp Runamook this year, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, so bartender summer camp, uh, whiskey summer camp. We did a rock, paper, scissors tournament, a 180-person tournament one winner 79 losers winner takes all what did they win <laughs> carl was the, the winner uh did eight rounds of rock paper scissors and uh he he's won a trip to ireland yeah there's he's going to the tullamore distillery next year so I, i'm gonna say i know that an irish bartender was there uh, uh darren, darren, yeah. darren from formerly of garvin's and Galway, the, the bar manager there it would have sucked if he'd won a one trip back <laughs> to ireland <laughs> yeah congratulations you've been deported uh yeah but so working and playing around with that, that that's one of the great things about this like uh it, it is a role that you know you do get back no matter how weird the idea is uh, and some of our weirdest ideas have been the most successful so like 50 states in 30 days looking for the best Irish pubs around America that was our how, how did that idea come about? Uh, that was inspired by an American weatherman called Al Roker I believe his name is and he in a week did um, weather broadcasts from all 50 states in a week? in a week wow yeah so and uh, that inspired uh, Charlotte Foisy, uh, and she she informed me about that idea. And uh, we, in the space of it's maybe two weeks later, I came back with a like a logistics plan. I remember spending the weekend, like map of America, different events, uh, different pubs, joined the dots. Uh, I must have had like. 30 scrap plans uh, before I got to this one. You must have had to find states that were kissing lines. There was one, one bar across the state line. Well, the unfortunately, line. there's not that many Irish pubs based on state lines. Well, the, the, <laughs> the first thought was, is there really an Irish pub in every state? 
right? And, there, and I must assume there, there is. There is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and in some places, there's a big decision. What what pub do I go to? And that came up in, like, unexpected states. Like, in Hawaii, there's, like, a, a real plethora of choice. You're spoiled for choice. And so I went to O'Toole's, but I also snuck across to Murphy's before we did the event. So the idea was you'd go to... Um, you know, the best pubs or best representation. And the idea wasn't to give awards or anything like this, but just tell the story and uh, the history of the pub, the history of Irish in, in those states. And yeah, it was, it was great. Like I did it in 30 days. The four, first four days, I didn't sleep in a bed. Uh, in fact, I barely slept. Planes, buses, taxis. Uh, wherever I could, yeah. And uh, we were doing an event in each of these pubs. And in fact, sometimes multiple ones. And it was really cool. Uh, to do 50 independent... But you would have uh, had to have doubled up some days. Oh, yeah, there were some yeah. days. I think my busiest day, I hit six states and a district in one day. In District DC? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't make it to Guam or Puerto Rico. Okay, I'm just checking. Like just checking. I, uh, <laughs> or I had a pub in the US, Virgin Islands, very upset uh, that I didn't make it out <laughs> to them. But, yeah, it was, it was great, and it was cool to have 50 independent events linked in. And... Uh, it was a series, and uh, like I was amazed that some states I never set foot in, where people would turn out and you know join me for a tully, and and hear my story and adventures, and yeah, it was it was great. Talking of kooky adventures on spreading the word of Irish whiskey, Alfonso Ribeiro, uh, Rick Flair, and yourself <laughs> adjudicated the world's shortest St. Patrick's Day parade. Yeah. So you 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 love. <laughs> Are, you, you know my love of stunts. Yes. Uh, so And wrestling. And, and wrestling, yeah. Yes. Big, big pro wrestling fan. And sadly, it's probably the source of most of my ideas. <laughs> <laughs> if only I had more interests, I'd have more ideas. But, yeah, and America's brilliant for the weird and wacky. Um, so, so, Hot Springs, Arkansas, uh, home to the world's shortest St. Patrick's Day parade. It's 92 feet short. And 30,000 people attend this. I've been to Hot Springs, Arkansas. That is a small town. It is, yeah. And there's, I think, one Irish pub, the Copper Penny. That's it, yeah. yeah. So that was... I got a free drink for showing an Irish ID in there. No way. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. that's cool. That's, uh, that explains why they charge me double. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so went to them on my 50 States tour. And then years later... Ah, okay. um, so I could learn and understand that story a bit better. Uh, so years later, I went uh, to attend the, the festival itself. Uh, so there was 30,000 people there. There was uh, a dozen of the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. Alfonso Ribeiro, better known as Carlton Banks from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, me and him actually got on great. Uh, we spent the night before uh, at the hotel bar and he was on... I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Yes. So we, yes. we had a great chat about that. Uh, and because it doesn't air in the US, and he was like shocked that he was, he the never got yeah. your best. Yeah. yeah and he, he loved telling the stories of that. That was fascinating in itself. And then uh, I, I will interrupt you that I apologize to anyone listening. We are pouring some more drinks. Um, <laughs> to, it was like some crinkling noises going on in the background. Uh, what are we uh, trying here? So we have the Tomo Jew Bonded Warehouse release. Which is not a whiskey I get to enjoy that much because it is only available in the distillery. Exactly. Um, so next time you make your trip down to Tullamore, be sure to to pick up one. 
and uh, back to Ric Flair. Exactly. Uh, so Ric Flair was Grand Marshal of the parade. Carlton or Alfonso Ribeiro was. You uh, just called Carlton at this point. Yeah, the, uh, the Carlton dance haunts him to this day. And uh, he was the, the he opener. Do, he did do it on I'm a Celebrity, though. He did it on I'm a Celebrity, and he was also on Dancing with the Stars, oh. which he won. Oh. And he he saved it to the final. It, it was part of his routine, so that was probably why he won. And uh, so, uh, and I was the, the Toastmaster General uh, for the World's Shortest St. Patrick's Day Parade. So naturally, I gave the world's shortest toast, pretty much. Nah, I didn't shortchange them that much. And uh, you're really loving the short thing going on. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) uh, Puns galore. Uh, But I was, yeah, I had my own convertible uh, in front of um, Miss Arkansas uh, in her her convertible. And uh, yeah, embarrassingly, when I stood up to do the toast, I had the Irish flag on backwards. So, so Ivory Coast. To reverse yeah. all the images. Yeah. All right. Well, I suppose this is a good moment. We've just poured our our glasses of the Tullamardew Old Bonded Warehouse Reserve. So, as we've just mentioned, Mr. Toastmaster General, why don't you give us a, a wee toast before we try these Tashkons? Yeah. Well, may you work like you don't need the money. Love like you've never been hurt. Dance as if no one's watching. Sing as if no one's listening. Make love like it's being videotaped. And live each day as if it was your last. Slauncha. Cheers. So, you finish up the world's shortest St. Patrick's Day parade. Yeah. And you roll into world record territories. <laughs> well, in a sense, um, I was already there. I was like... Oh, well, the world's shortest St. Patrick's yeah. Day parade, of course. So, yes. so that, that was a year where I was on a personal crusade to set a, a world record. And I sort of... It's, it's great that, it. that your company can, can float those ambitions. It can float my ego. <laughs> So th- that that year I did three, um, now heavy asterisks and technicality there. So world's shortest St. Patrick's Day I was part of that. I was also part of the world's biggest pub crawl, which happens in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's the Rich and Bennett pub crawl. Isn't that like twenty thousand people in a car park or something? Yeah, so twenty thousand. I think it's twenty-two thousand was the highest. Um, all start off in the car park. I think it's the Panthers Stadium. Good place to start. Yeah, whatever. It's a big car park. Yeah. So uh, I was Toastmaster General for that. And um, there's a theme going on here. Yeah. (laughs) Self indulgence. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so we were part of that. That's a a crazy event, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, But probably the most legitimate world record was uh, the world's biggest Irish coffee. Uh, weighing in at uh, 885 litres or 234 gallons in, in US, US currency. Yeah. yeah. Knowing what I know now and what it takes to put on that, I never would have done it. You alluded to, you know, where do you get a glass that big? Uh, so I went to an aquarium manufacturer in, based in Las Vegas. They have a TV show on the Discovery Channel called Tanked where they go and make famous people's aquariums yeah or in casinos or stuff like this and every episode's the same you know customer orders a tank just before the ad break it's like oh the tank won't fit or the tank broke and then after the ads against all odds tank is in there fish live so so what you're saying is you order this giant glass a week before the event the glass is meant to break (laughs) yeah well the thing that was about to break was and this is something i never considered before an event was 
we were at Fidel in Chicago, which is um, a very famous Irish pub, a group of Irish pubs, uh, the place to be for St. Patrick's Day uh, in Chicago. We didn't do it on St. Patrick's Day. We did it Good on choice. National Irish Coffee Day, which I know all the whiskey files will know. 25th is, of January. Yes. Of course. Yes, January 25th. <laughs> Forget Burns Night, it's National Irish Coffee Day. And we did it that, that day. Uh, we had the glass. Um, we were positioning where we would put the glass. So for, for reference, you can fit in the, like, up to your neck was the volume of the glass, essentially, in height. Yeah, uh, my dad <laughs> loves that photo uh, <laughs> because he shows it to people and goes, Tim was a test tube baby. Look at him. <laughs> so I can fit in this in this glass. Um, it's probably, well, the, including the stand, it's over six feet tall. Okay, and it's a big glass. It, it is indeed. And... It's a lot of Irish coffee. So we one thing we were concerned about, uh, or specifically the owner of the bar was very concerned about, was what if where we had this glass, the weight would be too much and it would go through the floor. And it turns out his hunch was what right. So the night before the event, he had a structural engineer come in and go, you better not put it there because it will be in your basement uh, when it's halfway full. Uh, so, we, so it would have been a very specific point for a very large volume of liquids. Yeah, so we, okay. we had to uh, put it on a supporting beam and reinforce it. Uh, the, oh, the, so you like the day jacked up. underneath it or something? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and thankfully, it stayed uh, on the level that we put it in, uh, as opposed to winding up in the basement. So uh, so how many litres? 800? 885. Um, so how does... Walk me through the logistics of how you fill... Eight. Like what? What were the concerns going into this? Uh, most mostly the hot liquid. Okay. Uh, how how do you get it that hot, and yeah. how long does it take? So, how many so it, it wasn't even just it needed to look like an Irish coffee. You wanted to make yeah. An so Irish coffee. okay, so so break it down for me because that's first of all in my head that's a huge amount of whiskey. So twenty seven cases. Twenty seven uh, nine liter cases. Uh, no, uh, physical physical cases. six pack cases. Six pack. Okay. Um, uh, liter bottles so they went in first that was the easy bit we then had to do a cold brew uh, so we boiled the cold brew uh, at four oh. different kitchens um, so you did kind of a coffee re- reduction first and then hot water on top yeah so we, okay. bo- we boiled the cold brew which mm-hmm. when you're boiling something you have to factor I think it's either 8 or it's 5% evaporation rate so you have to factor that in uh, so we boiled the cold brew that went in. We then boiled the water. But, but was it just in the kitchen of Fidel? Or? Well, there were, we had to use multiple uh, pubs and restaurants and shuttle it by van with Cambros. And <laughs> sounds very safe. Yeah, very, very safe. Uh, piping boiling hot liquid that will certainly scald and uh, fill the glass. And then you also have to do uh, a simple syrup, uh, so sugar, water. Uh, that must have been a huge amount of simple syrup. Yeah, uh, so we had to do that, give it a good stir, and then the the real, uh, you know, creme de la creme, creme de la creme, <laughs> the the moments uh, will the cream float. So um, because the diameter is so big, like in a normal Irish coffee glass, those adorable, cute little things, there's a lot of surface tension on the water because it's a narrow diameter. Diameter, but on um, on that, which I think was probably th- three foot wide, you lose let, you tension. lose the surface tension. So we had to we had a team called the cream team, 
Wonderful and, name. And they, they were whipping the cream and we added a little bit of xanthium gum in there, which is a binder uh, that kept it all together and kept it floating. And it stayed floating the whole way through down, down to the very bottom. And there's 3,500 Irish coffees in that glass. We did not complete it. And I think people are still shaking from that event, God, from, all the, from all the caffeine. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, and what did you have a spigot at the bottom? We had a spigot at the bottom, uh, which even even in itself, that must have been under a lot of pressure. Oh, we I, thought we thought it'd be like a fire hose of Irish coffee, <laughs> but uh, it, it wasn't. You could like fill a, a sixth of a shot glass with perfect accuracy. Okay. So there was some good engineering done there, and uh, it, it stayed piping hot for six hours and probably could have stayed eight hours because you have so much mass and body of liquid that's insulated by by the aquarium but also by the the layer On of the uh, of uh, cream and uh, did you just like top every glass coming out with cream again yeah so you must have been like well that's a logistical operation in it as you yeah. say three and a half thousand yeah. times of cream yeah so for anyone out there that wants to do uh, 886 litres of Irish coffee uh, good luck to you <laughs> it might just, be worth it just check what did you do with the glass afterwards uh, it went into storage and is it still in storage uh, it's not it no longer exists anymore it no longer exists yeah. what happened it, it I wish it would have gone to aquarium use. Um, <laughs> yeah, that could have been a really interesting addition for the distillery. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty expensive to ship that over. So I'm, not, I'm sure it was expensive to build too. Yeah, it wasn't cheap. Yeah. yeah, so it just it just lived its use. L- lived its use. Um, the William Grant office in New York didn't want a, a Tullamore Jew glass. No. no. No, no, it would have been great in reception. <laughs> But yeah, the the world record was done. What's the point? So, exactly. And yeah. who held the world record beforehand? Did you have a metric to hit above? Yeah, um, a place called Paddy's Bar in Portland. Uh, and Portland, Oregon, or Portland, Maine. Portland, Oregon, because that always got me in the yeah. states. Yeah, yeah, it still does. And yeah, an old colleague, David Laird, actually was the manager at that pub. And I'm like, wasn't he, he a Glenfiddich ambassador? Ba- Balvinia, ba- and he never told me he had this record. <laughs> And uh, you just googled it one day. Yeah, and I see a video of him making it. I'm like, David, <laughs> t- tell me this stuff. I actually care about this. And uh, so that that record had to be broken. Uh, but there were other previous records, whether it was the Buena Vista in San Francisco. And, they the uh, world's most Irish coffees of the day, don't they? Yeah, which is three thousand. I have three thousand seven hundred and sixty-four on my head. So like eight hundred and ninety liters yeah. of Irish coffee. <laughs> so uh and then bernard walsh had a, a record too uh with the irishman uh i forget what that was weighing in at but yeah it's let's see how long this one lasts and then you have to break it again oh yeah you were the first person to have the same world record twice yep that'll feed the i'm ego. that petty <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you did make yourself a uh world wrestling belt i believe oh. after you won an icons of whiskey ambassador award i think yeah there's a lot of things that we're talking about that i'm proud of that one probably not yeah so in a true massaging of an ego um was lucky enough to um win uh, was it i think it was us uh icons of whiskey best ambassador later won the global one and uh <laughs> humbled i was not <laughs> and uh yeah made a, a championship belt in, Again, tribu- in tribute fan. to wrestling yes. and myself and uh <laughs> 
and then finally um did yeah. you retire the belt or uh, it, it is in my my room in new york yeah definitely there but the operation of carrying it through airports and having security look at it and then also realizing you are a total spanner by having said belt um how, how, got does, one, how does one even get that commissioned uh, there's there's like, people yeah and they do the WWE belts as well ah okay. uh, so you, you got a proper belt right? oh yeah, yeah it's that sad yeah oh wow uh, okay a, so a friend of mine uh, is a WWE wrestler uh, she's quite an accomplished WWE wrestler Becky Lynch she's uh, the current WWE Women's Champion she defeated Ronda Rousey for that honour a few name drops there that's okay uh, yeah, yeah. Tim's friends yeah um, and uh yeah, I'm sure she talks about my wrestling, <laughs> my, my belt, uh, which such gusto as I do. Uh, you ever meet her, she'll talk about this egg farmer she knows from uh, County Louth. Yeah, can you believe he made it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, there was that. Can we move on from yeah, that? Yeah, I don't think we need to dwell on that Wonderful. anymore. Okay, so um, we have talked about a number of interesting stunts uh, you did. In some way, I led those questions on, but I was, I was at least... In the in the spectrum of Tullamoreju for for several of those, so yeah, uh, one though I was not in the spectrum for was one that went viral before I actually entered the <laughs> uh, whiskey industry. I actually saw it on Joe.ie, um, yeah. I think, or one one of the equivalent websites was a Irish whiskey ambassador getting a room a newsroom full of people to toast uh, on Will Caligum the Macca the Letters. Yeah. Marche de Holly. Marche There's a bit of manners as well there. <laughs> um, so yeah. for anyone who doesn't know, a childhood saying that every Irish child in school learns, which is asking politely to the teacher, can you use the bathroom? Yeah. Uh, and you decided to do what exactly? Yeah. So this is a phrase that scars every generation, really. It's uh, you can't go to the toilet. You have to learn this phrase to have the permission to go so it's learn it or bladder bust is a, is the name of the game and uh i get to do a couple of tv appearances where i i, I make cocktails with presenters so this was a dallas tv show and um did my mixology thing uh did my toast thing and they were like oh can you do uh this irish another irish toast so i had them repeat after me and it was all going to plan until they go, oh, that is gorgeous. What does it mean? And I didn't want to get into the semantics of what it actually meant. So I just said, it means I love you when you're old and grey, but I certainly won't be living with you. So haha, everyone has a moment. A segment closes out. But four days later, I get the TV clip, the YouTube clip and put it on Facebook. The mates back home, like, like it, share it. Have a great laugh with it. I think it was probably Ushin Davis that deserves uh, most of the credit on this. Uh, but it got picked up picked up from his Facebook. And it was Joe.ie. It was on 2FM, 98FM. It was on like six radio stations. Cut down. And like there was, I think it was on Adrian Kennedy as well. Where they were like debating, you know, is this good for the Irish language? Or is it... <laughs> Or is it a mockery? So The real questions we need to ask. Yeah, and uh, the, the TV station, like they always post their segments on YouTube. But this one, most of them get like 1,000, 2,000 clips. But they're quite puzzled when this one got 2,840 or 284,000 views. 
because that was a bit of an anomaly and they were like what what's happened here uh so i had to fess up to to my trickery and uh they invited me back on the show <laughs> they were desperate for revenge didn't get it by the way uh but that that was my moment of being a three-day viral sensation Is later to be replaced by i think it was a dancing priest Oh. That became the internet uh, new new love. Is is it true that the uh, William Grant office wouldn't share it on the Tullamoreview uh, social medias for fear of uh, you deceiving them as to what the Irish actually meant? It, it's very much true. So th- this <laughs> happened Thanksgiving week. So uh, being based in in the US at the time, my brand manager was American, and she knows me quite well. She knows I can be a bit of a bollocks at times, and. In a nice way. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're you're in a nice way. Yeah, yeah. we'll stick with that. And uh, she was like, what does this mean? And I explained it to her. And she's like, it doesn't mean that, does it? There's no yeah. way you're getting 284,000. Yeah, yeah. What, 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 what curse word did you do? <laughs> so she calls Dublin and uh, the Tullamore Global Office. And at the time, the director was uh, Scottish. And he was like, listen... I don't get it either. I don't know really what's happening, but like John Quinn and the Irish members of the team, they say it's really funny, but it's like, yeah, is it is it dirty? Like he's talking about toilets, and it's like, no, apparently it's 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 quite PC, you know, it's it's cheeky rather than filth. I was like, oh, okay, is this something we should we should post? No, probably not, probably not. So sadly. Uh, those two hundred and eighty-four thousand views did not come from the Tullamore Facebook or social media channels. Never got the upticks from from them. No, no. no. But they they later loved it. So. <laughs> That's always good yeah. to know. So if there was, uh, I suppose, one event, world record, or activation you would want to do in the coming years, budgets be damned. What would that look like in your head? You must have some fun out there ideas. Yeah, and I'm I'm hoping a lot of them can come to life. So I I, I think we'll just have to do a, a wait and see. Um, Don't want other people to steal it. Clever. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you name it, and suddenly next week a competitor. Does yeah, the exact but, thing. but rest assured, I'm I'm plotting, scheming. Okay. Uh, there's tons of projects that we'll we'll see, and that's what makes my gig so interesting um you know you do get to let your imagination run wild once it makes sense with the the brand yeah. but um my superiors are they challenge me to do these things but they equally back me to do these things connor's looking at you then he is yeah 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 and a little less ego you know? uh, fair yeah. enough so you're going to uh, be heading back stateside then and i suppose we're we're currently in october mm-hmm. um which is we're now kind of officially in whiskey season for the United States. Um, suddenly we start running into uh, January, February, March, which for every other category is dead season. Yeah, uh, It is second Christmas for Irish <laughs> whiskey. It's um, bigger than Christmas. Bigger, yeah. It's true, it is bigger yeah. than Christmas. Um, there is also one of the things I find fascinating about the United States, that there is such a grawl for the Irish uh, in the United States. I always found that even the... Uh, coldest of welcomes or, or attitudes are instantly uplifted with yeah. the realization that you're irish um which must be nice but do you and the the tullamore team have big plans now coming rolling into that january february march and then 
taking your holiday significantly from the 18th of March onwards. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I only had to work three months in a year. That'd be great. <laughs> but yeah, we're... And every year we, we set ourselves our own challenge by outdoing ourselves on um, on St. Patrick's season. And that can mean every, every, everything from volume to, you know... Uh, just an activation and ideas share so, of mind yeah and really we're probably our own toughest critic on that kind of stuff so we, we've set the bar pretty high over the years uh, last year we really looked at uh, oh everyone um, which was an idea of uh, everyone's Irish on St. Patrick's Day or St. Patrick's Day it doesn't matter if you have an Irish passport or not um, you know it's a holiday for everyone uh, so we did this um, anyone could sign up for a t-shirt uh, and stick O in front of their their surname and become become Irish. So the O Sanchez's of the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, O Martinez's and uh, yeah, we've had some pretty good ones actually come through. But uh, we're probably looking to make that bigger, batter better, uh, and have some fun around that for next year. Well, while I'm aware we're kind of coming to a nice kind of natural end of this, um, perhaps one question I'd like to kind of address and something I quite like about. Um, I suppose William Grant as a whole, but specifically Tullamore Jew, the brand kind of wears its heart on its sleeve a little bit. It mm-hmm. has its own, I suppose, principles and and its own beliefs as well. Um, I know one of the few brands in the world that kind of uh, donned a rainbow label for uh, LGBTQ plus pride. Uh, mm-hmm. You have the O Everyone, which in a was in somewhat of I don't know if it's intended this way because that was a, an activation that happened after I left uh, William yep. Grant myself, but it, it seems in a world of a lot of I suppose divisions where we're looking at a very inclusive message as well, mm-hmm. um, which is in some ways a lot of brands would just stay brands objectively with no kind of you know yeah. inclusive message like that. That's a that's an interesting you know uh, viewpoint to take because I've seen some of uh, I remember seeing the Tullamore Jew photograph with the the pride label the pride label um the the, the pride rainbow exactly yeah yeah. yeah. the the lgbtq flag over the label of tomorju i remember that that happened while i worked with the company but we weren't particularly aware that was coming in the lines Mm -hmm. and i remember reading the comments yeah and it was bizarrely self-policing because for every 10 15 comments there was one negative one that was almost being shouted down by the positive ones, if that yeah. makes sense. No, I, I remember it was great fun and insightful reading through that. And I'll say, you know, we, we put out a very inclusive message, but it's not for everyone. If you don't, if you don't believe in that, um, you're welcome to enjoy something else. And like Tullamore Jew, it's a blend of all three styles of Irish whiskey. Uh, but we firmly believe that Tullamore, town is a far more interesting place because of the french restaurant the chinese takeaway the turkish guys that run the captain's house so it's a good restaurant yeah it's, it's brilliant <laughs> uh, and yeah tullamore town's a more interesting place because of a blending uh, of cultures and our whiskey is a far more interesting whiskey because of a, a blending there and we really try to to live that value in our activations, uh, probably the best example is that Oh Everyone, um, St. Patrick's Day message. And yeah, that's that's who we are. That's what we do. 
I think uh, what a fantastic message to end on. So, Tim, if people are looking to follow Tullamore Jew on social media, uh, where should they be looking? Yeah, uh, at Tullamore Jew on Instagram. You can find me at, uh, at Tullamore Tim on Facebook, on Instagram. And if you're light of a bit of bedtime reading as well, you can check out uh, our Barley to Blarney, a whiskey lover's guide to Ireland. Um, you can check that out, which details 22 distilleries and 50 of um, myself, Jack, Sean, of Deverett Rabbit famed uh, favourite pubs in Ireland. Too. And it's kind of sassy. That was my thing reading it. it like The book has a personality, which is, which is fantastic. And it, it is sassy. It has an attitude, all right. So uh, it probably comes from the fact that the three of us uh, shared, shared uh, what was it, a collective of two months together touring Ireland. There was going to be some sass and attitude from it as a result. But yeah, I very much enjoyed reading it. People can find that on the likes of Amazon. Yeah, uh, Amazon, good bookstores, bad bookstores, it's everywhere. Perfect. Yeah. And as always, guys, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Always uh, giving us a review on the iTunes store, uh, as well as giving us any kind of reviews online, is always helpful for spreading the word to other whiskey lovers around the world. You can find me online at uh, www.postill.com. Uh, Instagram and Twitter at potstilled underscore or facebook.com forward slash potstilled. So Tim, absolutely fantastic interview and uh, thank you so much for uh, opening up your whiskey selection here and turning back into me. Uh, <laughs> and we never really, really got to touch on eggs. So no. maybe for the next podcast. Thanks very much. <laughs> on a different show. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.